Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. I'm so grateful to welcome Nasli, an Iranian-born Australian, to the podcast today. She shared with us a recipe for lamb and lentil kufta, which is a combination of ground meat, seasonings, herbs, rice, and lentils, molded into a ball, then gently cooked in a lovely tomato, turmeric, and onion sauce. Some of us may be tempted to think of this dish as the Persian version of meatballs, but this would be except for the kufta's traditionally massive size. In fact, as Nosley shares, in the region of Tabriz, women sometimes even cook entire chickens in their kufta. Nasli also discusses a wartime childhood, the beauty of the landscape in Iran, and the ancient Persian culture that Iranians share with many other nations. One final word about this episode, I would like to note that it is heavily edited. Welcome, Nasli. Let's just start with a little bit of a snapshot about mm-hmm. your life. You live in Australia? Yes, I live in Brisbane, Australia. Okay. I live here with my husband and my daughter. I have only one daughter. She's okay. 15. Okay. And she's a teenager. She's a very well-behaved teenager. She's really good. <laughs> I have and, a 15-year-old son. I'm yeah. here to say that teenagers oh, can be a delight. Yeah, yeah. I must declare that too. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I have been in the research area for the last 10 years. I just finished my PhD and submitted my thesis on December. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. I did like a research on digital health for patients with cardiovascular disease. Digital health for patients with cardiovascular disease. Yes. So this means like how they can get treated? Like electronic or mobile health uh, interventions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My my background is nursing. Well, I did Google you. You had quite a few published papers, I noticed. Uh, Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have few publications. Well, it seems like telehealth you know, digital health, that's everything right now because you don't want to bring people into doctor's offices. Definitely. Mm -hmm. It is very interesting, but very challenging as well because clinicians don't know about it, patients are not willing, and you as a researcher have to push everyone. Right. (laughs) Very difficult. Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to change quickly. Yeah. Especially in the healthcare setting, Mm -hmm. clinicians really don't they are not willing to change the way they are doing now. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of change, change is something that you are definitely willing to adapt to because you live in a completely different country than where you grew up. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I grew up in Tehran, Iran. And Tehran. Yeah, okay. I came here when, when I was 24 years old. Okay. Yes, yes, sure. Okay, so tell me, you know, I've never been to Tehran. There's a good chance I'll never be there. Um, So just before we talk about, like, your experiences there, I'd love to just have a visual. Just describe to me the physical surroundings where you grew up. Mm. 
Tehran is a very huge city with huge population. And mm-hmm. in recent years, the population has been increased really dramatically mm-hmm. because everyone wants to come to Tehran to get job or have better social and environmental life. Okay. And it's made Tehran so busy, so crowded with full traffic and like pollution. Mm-hmm. But when I grew up over there, it was a very nice city and, mm-hmm. and like mm, surrounded by mountain. If mm-hmm. you go like one hour to the north of Tehran, you can ski in the mm-hmm. winter. From north of Tehran, you can go go to the beach and the, the, the roads are so beautiful, like very, very huge green mountain mm-hmm. and a very nice roads to there mm-hmm. and to the south you can go to desert to the desert so you can drive to the north you can drive through the mountains to the beach to south you got you are going closer to the center of iran which is more drier and okay. it's like a very old cities like isfahan yazd kashan Okay. And these are ancient cities and lots of ancient building infrastructure from last civilizations. Okay. So when you were a child, did you travel with your family a lot? A lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. Both north and south, yeah. Mm-hmm. It has their own culture, their food, their way of like clothing, handcraft. It's very different. In mm-hmm. Iran, you can the two cities that are similar. That's so interesting. Very interesting. But Tehran is very different. Tehran is so modern. Mm -hmm. Like young generation are attracted to Tehran because Mm -hmm. it's a modern city. Several coffee shops, restaurants, you can find like international foods, everything Mm -hmm. that the young generation are willing to see. Mm -hmm. But when you go to smaller cities, there's community is getting smaller people know each other mm. but the culture is so rich over there mm. Mm. the culture it just goes back millennia yes especially mm. when you go to the south and go to the center of iran like the cities i mentioned to the mm. north because it's going toward the caspian sea mm-hmm. and they have been modernized as well because yeah, people go over there and build their like the countryside villas over there. Then you mm. can see the sea and mountain together. Mm. Is the Caspian yeah. Sea very blue? What is the Caspian Sea like? I haven't seen it for twenty years. Mm. <laughs> but my childhood memory, it was like a dream when I was mm. tra- we traveled over there, and my dad like. Take us to the um, Caspian Sea and the cities around the sea. There are two very large estates <clears throat> beside the Caspian Sea, and one of them is called Gilan, which is very very nice estate. Lots of cities and beautiful citrus gardens. Mm, citrus and, gardens. Oh. And, and also rice. Rice is the main ingredient that. Main, really? Yeah, like for yeah, in Gilan. And there's rice yeah, is in Gilan. Rice is very famous, yeah. It's so a is, long, very aromatic rice. 
And also tea. Tea is a very, very, very popular. It's like Iranian black tea okay. in north of Iran. So um, the rice, I guess mm-hmm. I always picture rice grown in like rice patties. It's very marshy, but that's not where tea or citrus trees yeah. are grown. So mostly teas and uh, citrus are grown up in mountain. But the rice in like flat, they can, mm-hmm. mm, yeah, they can put so much water because okay. it's growing water. Yeah. Okay, so it's almost like they flood it to grow the rice. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and okay, and it's like a women duty in when they want to start the growing. It's women. Mm. So yeah. you said in the south, it's more ancient. So did you have favorite places that you went to visit in the south? Yeah, Shiraz, the Shiraz wine, which is very famous around the world. Mm. It came from Shiraz city, which is a city for the Persian empire, Mm. like uh, Cyrus and Darius the Great. Mm. And we have many like uh, cities, ancient cities over there, like uh, Persepolis. It's very similar to that one that is in Greece. Mm. Or Rome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at some pictures it's here online. Ancient. This is unreal. Yeah, very ancient tomb, very, very, very different things. And also the, the culture and the community is very different. I can say very rich in culture, their food, their, their like clothing. They have lots of handcraft. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are the values different in those towns? The ethical, personal, religious values? Oh, maybe. Are they more traditional? More traditional. Most of them now are, they are Muslim. But mm-hmm. for example, in Isfahan, they are more Christian as well. And mm-hmm. there, there is a, like a church, a very, very ancient church, mm-hmm. which is belong to Christian people over there. In other cities, they have, other uh, like uh, religion, I don't know if you heard about Zoroastrian or not. It's the ancient religion of Persia. Mm, no, I've prophet. never heard of that. Zoroaster, yeah, it's Zoroastrian. Zoroaster. It's a very very ancient religious before like Jesus. Okay, <laughs> so is it more like uh, mythology? They have book, they have prophet, and. Uh, the ancient cities, they have like many, yeah, many things that has been remained from that culture, that religion. The center of Iran, people had this religion and after Islam, they immigrated to India. Oh, the those who believed in Zora's, okay, I'm looking it up. I can't pronounce it. It yeah. also says Mazdayasna, Mazdayasna. So those people, um, when Islam... The god is called Mazda. It's like ancient Persian. Okay. Got it. Okay. So those people left and went to India. And I was going to say, because yeah, this sounds, it says it's a, um, it's a faith centered on the dualistic cosmology of good and evil, which is more, I think like a East religion. That's how I associate it more. So that's really interesting. Okay. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and tell me about your family that you grew up with. 
I grew up with my two brothers and they are older than me. Mm-hmm. And but I have many cousins that I share like a beautiful memory with them during mm-hmm. our traveling to the other cities or gathering with families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It used to be very gathering. People gather together. Mm-hmm. For example, extended families see each other, have food together for different reasons. Even it's mm-hmm. wedding, it's funeral, it's birthday. Right. They go to their home. But not now. now it's different, really. The situation has been changed over the during last 30 years. I know that, that gatherings are no more yeah. happening in Iran. Yeah. yeah. They have to manage somehow this difficult situation. Mm-hmm. People can't afford really to have mm-hmm. such a parties and gatherings. And what kind of events shaped your childhood in Iran? When I was two years old, it was a revolution. And okay. then I the revolution happened when you were two, but you you still remember things being different. So, for instance, you remember when there were a lot of gatherings and it was a very communal culture, but you're saying the changes have been so gradual that even more changes have happened. People used to be very happy. We, had, we used to have like a big wedding, big family gathering. But now, because economically, people are oh, under pressure, okay. under very, very difficult and like extreme pressure. It's okay. really affording like uh, parties are very difficult. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What did your parents do professionally? Oh, my father, had, he had his own business, but mm. they lost his business. Mm. What my kind of mom, business did he have? Uh, he had like a mm, tool shop, mm. very big tool shop. And then it happened war, war between Iran and Iraq. It was really devastating. We had like a bombard to Tehran when I was very young. It was so scary. It was like really terrible. Mm. And people had to leave their jobs sometimes, go to the small cities because of the bombards from the Iraq. How old were you when that happened? I was like eight years, mm. years old. Yeah, and it wow. took eight years. It went on for eight years. So between the time you were eight and 16, there was just constant bombings? Yes. And this had like... Honestly. A, yeah, emotional effect on children, on people, because people were losing their parents, their brothers, their fathers. When you walk into the city, you could see that mosques have like mourning, music, singing, talking about people who is going to die. You could see people lose their parents, their sister, their not sister, brother and fathers. Mm. And it was really devastating for like a teenager like me when I was growing up in that environment. Yeah. Sometimes I'm thinking, oh, my God, how we survived. Yeah. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did your family survive? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So and your father, he lost the tool shop that had to do with economics as well? Yes. Yeah, okay. 
So you were going to tell me what your mom did professionally. And so I guess I'll tack on the question, how much did her life change? Oh, um, my mom used to be a housewife, Mm -hmm. but she affected because I have three brothers. Mm -hmm. One of my oldest brother, um, he left Iran exactly before revolution. (laughs) He was very young. He must have been, yeah, because you were only two. How old was he? He was 18 years old. He left wow. Iran to study in, you know, he's, he lives in United States now. Okay. And I have another two brothers. They live in Iran. They had to go to, like, a compulsory military. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they survived, fortunately. Mm. Yeah, we were so lucky, but... And mm-hmm. there were like young people in our family that they lost their life or they lost their limbs in the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mom is a, is a, she's a very calm and resilient woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's now very old. And my dad passed away. Like mm-hmm. just before I come to Australia, he passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So then your mom's, but your mom has been there for the last 20 years. Yes. And she okay. lives with my brother. Yeah. With my your brother? brother? With your brother. Okay. Okay. So what did that do just to, to shift the conversation to food a little bit? What did that do to the role of food in culture? Because the traditions of hospitality gathering and, and food had such a big place in those traditions. So how did that role change? Um, I can say still it's very important. Food yeah. plays a significant <laughs> role in Iranian culture. We connect, celebrate, and mourn through mm. foods. Mm. For example, foods for weddings differ from foods for funeral and birthday. Really? <laughs> I don't know if you have seen this in other no. countries. No, no. I mean, of course, we have the idea of like a birthday cake, I guess. But I think everybody just eats what they want for their birthday and for weddings. So tell me a little more about that. There are some very special, uh, like a dessert, that they serve only in funerals. Really? What is it? Halva. Have you heard about halva? No, I haven't. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. There are some uh, kind of halva in like Arabic country as well. I'm not quite sure if it originated from Arabic country or is it from Iran. But in Iran, we have diverse halva, different halva. It's, oh, that's yeah. so interesting. So uh, can you explain to me a little bit? To be honest, I guess I would have said that Iranians are Arab, but no. They're Persian, like Persian and Arabs are totally different. You're saying, yeah, I know, I'm sorry. I know it sounds ignorant. <laughs> Just educate me. <laughs> That's okay. When we say Persian culture, because mm. there are many countries that share Persian culture, for example, several countries in north of Iran, such as Azerbaijan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and Afghanistan, mm-hmm. they are recognized as Persian. Mm-hmm. And um, Iran is just our country, but Persia, it belonged to very border mm-hmm. culture, many ethnic group and ancient history that goes back to 3000 years ago. 
and I say that that they had that religion Zoroastrian. Mm-hmm. And most of our traditions, our culture, come from that Zoroastrian time. I see. And Persian our lang- is our language as well. We call it Parsi. But because Arab people that can't pronounce P, they call they it Farsi. No, Farsi. I had no idea. But it's okay. Persian, Farsi. We are Parsi. Parsi, Parsi. That is so interesting. Okay. <laughs> and then so the Arabs came from a completely different ancient culture then. Yes, yes. After Arab came to Iran, I can say, I don't know if you know, there was a, like a huge war between Arabic people and Iranian, Persian people. Oh. They like attacked Iran and they changed Iranian, Persian people to Islamic people. It's when um, Islam came to Iran. I see. I see. Okay. So do you use the term Persian and Iranian like interchangeably, or are they very different things to you? Then we want to say about our country, our people, we say Iranian. But mm-hmm. when we talk about broader culture that is not like limited only to Iranian, as I mentioned, many countries have those sh- sh- we share with them, those mm. traditions, those yeah. ceremonies, those culture. Yeah. We call it Persian. Yeah. So you feel as connected and you take as much pride in both Iranian and Persian. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Because okay. it acts to like, yeah, like many years ago, a thousand years ago. And I know that our foods, our ceremonies, our music come from that time. Yeah. So do you do things to keep Persian culture alive in your home and for your daughter? Definitely. Um, for example, we have a very, very huge celebration at the beginning of the year in spring in Iran and in not in Iran, in many countries. Mm-hmm. I had a look in uh, there was I had a look in like some website they mentioned in 70 million people celebrate Nowruz. I don't know if you heard about Nowruz. No. It's a ceremony of uh, Persian culture at the beginning of the year in spring. In Iran, it's like a holiday. It's a big holiday, two weeks holiday. And Mm -hmm. people visit each other, go to their homes. They have like a special suite that we like prepare for Nowruz. Before Nowruz, we clean our home, we clean our garden. We, we clean everything, yeah, like a huge deep cleaning. Yeah, uh, all of a sudden I don't like this celebration so much. <laughs> <laughs> I need to. And we buy like a new clothes for children. We put like some garlic, uh, sumac. We set this table and mm. we sit around the table in the time that the, the year is going to change and spring it's coming. It's mm. a special time of the day that we know exactly we have to sit together as a family so it's not at midnight when the new like when the vernal equinox happens every time is changing it may be in middle of the day or it may be middle of the night it's changing because of the iranian calendar persian calendar and this celebration it's like back to like i think like 2000 years ago it's like that 
Persian Empire we, we talk about. Yeah, from that time, people celebrate. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's unite us as an Iranian, as a Persian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, yeah, to pass the, like, uh, like uh, our emotions, our feeling to music to my daughter as well. Mm. And she knows how to write and read Farsi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she understands. She can talk very good. Wow. Do you speak yeah. Farsi in your home? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. We just we only speak Farsi. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you feel as connected and you take as much pride in both Iranian and Persian. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. it's actually, yeah, like many years ago, a thousand years ago. And I know that our foods, our ceremonies, our music come from that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So what place did, we talked about food and cooking and the culture, you know, um, and it was a big, big, big deal there. How about in your home specifically? What place did food and cooking have in your home? And was it something that you were interested in as a child or did that come later? I was interested since I was young. And my mom, she's a really great cook. Mm. And and I was the most important helper for her to prepare, serve and cook food. I was like her assistant and I was watching her when she was doing Mm-hmm. And then step by step, I learned mm-hmm. and I was interested as well. Yeah, I had like a passion for cooking, baking since I was very young. Mm-hmm. It's very important. I can say here as well, it's food is like a very significant thing in our home as well, because it's connect us to each other. Even I see my daughter, she is interested in some of very, very specific Iranian foods mm-hmm. or or beverages or like dessert I talked about. Yeah. You gave me lamb kafta. Is that what it's called? Kafta? Kufta. Kufta. Okay. Yeah. And why did you choose that? I chose this dish because I have seen that uh, maybe similar name. Mm. This dish with similar name in other countries, like uh, I have seen in Greek they have, in Turkey they have. Mm-hmm. But when I checked the ingredient, the ingredient and methods were different. Mm. This dish is exactly from northwest of Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a state in northwest which is called Azerbaijan. Mm-hmm. There, they talk Azari, which is very similar to Turkish. And my oh. parent is originally from that area. And my name, Nazli, is Turkish as well. Really? Okay, interesting. But okay. Very close to Turkey as well. They have like a borders with Turkey. So okay. the culture have similarities. My parents are originally their parents were from Azerbaijan. Okay. Okay. So this just goes back several generations then. Yeah, definitely. And in this Azerbaijan, in this estate, there is a city which is called Tabriz. The women in Tabriz, they make very huge kufta. They show up their competency and skills with the size of kufta. Some of kufta can serve up to 20 people. It's that large. Well, you know, that is really interesting because I read this recipe and it sounded all, you know, reasonable and doable. But then I stopped 
I, it's like I stopped in my tracks when I got to the end because it said it makes four or five. Yeah. And I got, <laughs> I think I got 24 out of it. <laughs> you minimize it like a meatball. Yeah, I did. I did go overboard on some of the ingredients. So probably, probably at least 12, though, it would have made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom used to make like a very large size kufte. Mm. I, I haven't tried as well. It's very it's very scary for me to try the big one because otherwise if it's like bread, it, it goes all over the sauce and it doesn't really look good. So mm. I make like four, yeah, that recipe, like four of them. It's like okay. my hand, like a like bowl, a small bowl. Yeah, like yeah, like your whole fist. Yeah, yes. And uh, inside each of them, you can uh, put a caramelized onion, one to two pieces of walnut inside each cook. We have a kind of berry, which call it barberry. It's oh. In, yeah. And sometimes we put barberry as well inside each kufte, like a mixture of barberry, walnut, and caramelized onion. Mm. And it has like a sourness a little bit and it makes it more tasty. That sounds amazing. Even a larger, you can put a whole cooked egg inside it. <laughs> yeah, the, this is what my mom used to do. She put like a whole cooked egg inside yeah. kufta. Now, as you name all the things you can put inside, more and more and more things, I'm like, well, no wonder they get so big. <laughs> I didn't have anything stuffed in the middle of mine. <laughs> I know some ladies in our family that made it so large. And sometimes they could put like a chicken inside. <laughs> yeah, that was like the issue. And that kitchen, it's really famous for that cook. That. That's incredible. But how do they cook it the same way? Letting it kind of steam in the tomato and turmeric sauce? Yes, yes. They cover it with like a cheesecloth, uh-huh. something like that, until they, they protect it from the, well, falling apart. Wow. So, yeah, I just have a couple of questions about it. So, do you ever cook the rice and the lentils? Yes, yeah, you can cook a little bit, not fully cooked. Mm, because they're going to cook the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you soak it, that would be okay as well. If you soak the rice and the lentil for like two hours, that would be okay as well. Because when it's soaked, the water, it cooks very fast. Okay. Well, yeah, you did say to soak it. So maybe if I just soaked it for long enough, of course, I always start everything too late. Maybe if I soaked it for long enough, then I wouldn't have had to cook it. But I did I did go ahead and cook it. Okay. Okay. And then um, in terms of the basil, you know, there's so many different types and flavors of basil. And I'm curious what, you know, so I, around here, they tend to sell just like a more, like a, like an Italian basil. It's kind of the bright green, but then you can get a Thai basil that's a little bit sweeter. Uh, the flavor of Thai basil is very similar to what we have in Iran and we use in our cooking. Mm. So I use Thai basil here as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. About this dish, if you have none available over there, and uh, uh, fresh herbs 
and some pickles as well. We have like a special pickles in Iran, which I couldn't find here. They are so different. You can um, prepare some pickles with like mixed vegetables. You can prepare with just eggplant and herbs. And in, in winter, we had like this as a side dish. In Iran, we still have many, many women, they prepare their own pickles, but there are very good stores now. Yeah, yeah but they're not, they're not cucumber-based. Some of them are fruit-based. Some really? of them are vegetable-based. Some of them are mixed vegetables like carrot, cauliflower, uh, celery, cucumber. Mm-hmm. They mix it and then they use lots of herbs, fresh herbs, and then they preserve it in like vinegar and salt. And you have to preserve it for like three weeks, four weeks. And when you open, it's so nice. Yeah. And you said radishes. Radishes. Yeah. And any particular kinds of herbs? Yes. Like uh, that sweet Thai basil, coriander, and chives, very, very like it, very tiny chives, not the one it's like a large, very tiny, like baby chives. Fresh herbs is very popular. When you go to Iranian, yeah. like a home, uh, they, they have a, like a big platter of fresh herbs. They're served with their food. Oh, see, that's why it's, it's so good. Only I think you can see in Iranian. I haven't seen any other culture or communities. Our grocery has a, like a special section just mm. for, and you can buy like a one kilogram of basil, one kilogram of coriander. And you just sit and eat the herbs just by themselves, like you would eat a salad. Yeah, like a salad. Yeah, mixed herb like a salad. And with many Iranian foods. Yeah. Search for sabzi, it makes herb. Yeah. Okay. And I loved what you wrote when you submitted the recipe. You said, um, my mom makes this dish very patiently. She gathers all ingredients by her side and then step by step prepares the kofta. Every dish she's making, she like gathers every ingredient, put it in different bowl. Mm. And she sits on the floor in the kitchen. And then a step by a step, she does. It takes like two hours for her. <laughs> It takes too much time. Yeah. They sit. She preferred to sit rather than standing. And yeah. Yeah. She prepared all the bowls. She put it on the like a platter. And then uh-huh. it's ready. She stand up and cook it on the stove. Oh, what a visual. Mm. Hmm. There are some dishes that preparation is longer than women in Iran. They do the same. Yeah. Unfortunately, they, these foods are so delicious, but they are very time-consuming. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you cook like? Uh, do you cook only Persian foods in your home? No, no. Because I when I came here, Australia is very multicultural, and mm-hmm. I had chance to have like taste different in like foods from different cultures like Indian food, Italian food. <clears throat> and my daughter, she loves pasta. <laughs> oh yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> you said you were 24 when you left? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was your path to leaving? How did you make that decision? Oh, um, 
<laughs> I was married like for three years with my husband and then he decided to continue his um, qualification here in Australia. Okay. He, he, Is that hard just being away from your family? Yeah. In that time, it was really hard for me because I was alone. I was young. I didn't know English language. Even I, when I turned on the TV, I didn't understand anything. Mm. <laughs> I had to have a dictionary beside me and have a look on the words when people say something. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you end up learning English? <laughs> step by step, I learned at home first. Uh-huh. And then I started university. And now you've written a PhD thesis. <laughs> yes. oh, because you're incredible. You're incredible that you've done that. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. It mm-hmm. was really difficult, but we learned a lot, really. Living in another country and being alone, raising a child with, without your mom, your parents, your mother-in-law. No one was here to help us, really. It was just me and my husband. Mm. <laughs> and then studying and then working, it, it, it was difficult. But I'm so happy that I did it. Mm-hmm. I imagine it made you and your husband very close, that you kind of had to rely on each other so much in all these years. Definitely, yeah. Mm. It's very different than uh, the couples living inside Iran. Some of them, they say something and I say, what? You mean you don't say to your husband this? We ha- we say everything to each other. Right. happening <laughs> in right. <board> study. <laughs> right, right, right. But your friends in Iran, they don't always feel that they can say those things to their husbands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, truth be told, so, I have plenty of American friends who don't speak freely to their husbands. So, <laughs> yeah, when you come to other countries that uh, you don't have anyone, you rely on each other, take care of each other. Yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah. All right. You've taught me so much. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, no. All right. Well, I just thank you so much for your time. Can you tell everybody how they can find you? Oh, um, I started Mm -hmm. working on photography like three years ago Mm -hmm. because I wanted to share my recipes because I thought that would be nice if I can share like Iranian or Persian recipe with other people. Yeah. And then I started to photography and step by step, I really enjoy photography. Oh, you're so good at it. Your work is really, really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I have a website, um, parionazi.com. Yeah, I uh, wanted to ask you what that means. Pari is uh, the first word of my daughter. Oh. Name, and Nazi is my first word of three words of my name. I love it. I mix them together. <laughs> Parionazi means my daughter and me. I love that. And also I have a, like an Instagram account in this name again, Parionazi. And I share my recipe, my food photography and the dishes I love. And I really want to connect with people and yeah, share our passion for food. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Nosley, whose information is on the blog. Next week, I welcome John and Rebecca 
a couple of Hollywood writers who believe in feasting every day. They share their authentic Cajun jambalaya recipe, as well as their story about how they got this recipe. They also discuss how food and cooking affect their creative process, their relationships with one another, their children, and their grandchildren. I hope you hit subscribe now to make sure you don't miss that episode or any others. As always, I appreciate every share and I would love to hear from you. Thanks and have a great week, my friends.